It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. It was like being up in Croke Park and Cork winning the All-Ireland for me. The massive problem we have in this country is the shadow economy, the black market. Everything can be controlled, and that's the job of the government. I just wanted to give back. We're all going to be old someday. It's nice to know that there's someone looking out for you. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ. Good morning, glorious Thursday morning, beautiful morning, cold, bright and sunny. A nice day to go back to work if you have been off work for a few days following something horrible that happened to you. Uh, David, you're, you're, you're heading back this morning, material boy, my old pal. How are you? Good morning to you. Hi PJ, how are you? We speak again. <laughs> we do, we do, and unfortunately, this isn't yeah. a good one. What? How are you? First of all, well, I'm okay. I'm okay now. It's a few days after the incident that occurred, so I'm feeling like kind of getting back to myself. Um, if it's okay, I'll just kind of go with it. This is a very difficult conversation for me to have. I'm still quite raw, yes. so I, you know, I've. I've declined any interviews the last couple of days, but, you know, I'm kind of ready now. So I'll give you the gist of the story. You, you go through it at your pace, fella. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Vijay. So on Sunday, I was out with two of my very close friends, Susan and Mandy, celebrating Mandy's, Mandy's birthday, having a fabulous evening, had a lovely dinner, went off, saw a live band, danced away, had a few drinks, and we separated at around maybe quarter to 12. That night I was staying in the Imperial Hotel and I left the girls headed down, I won't say the name of the bar, headed down a certain street where um, I was screamed at, you effing, look, sorry, look at the effing queer, look at the effing faggot. And before I knew it, a very big, stocky man came to me and just gave me the most strongest, merciful punch into the face. Um, Before I know it, I'm kind of coming around, getting up off the floor. I remember attempting to push someone and there was guards there. I was completely bewildered. I hadn't really understood what was happened. Yes, I was under the influence. I had a few drinks and also I was pretty much knocked out. I hadn't a clue what was going on. Um, before I knew it, I was over in the Bridewell um, 
No, I will not fault for the guards. They did absolutely nothing wrong. What I found out later, they were completely just doing their job. But I was completely confused what was happening at the time. I was placed into a cell. Um, and it wasn't until the following day, the following evening, when I called um, one of the guards that I finally got the full version of the story. So I'll go back a little bit. The guy, the perpetrator, the guy that hit me, had obviously hit me so hard that I went down. I was knocked out. Mm-hmm. The pers- a person then had called the guards to say that there is a man after falling or is unconscious on the ground on the, on the street that they found me. The guards then obviously came and um, in my confusion when they were maybe picking me up or helping me up, I pushed a guy. I was then under the illusion the night before that I was arrested for being in an altercation for defending myself. That yeah. isn't correct. Can I, can I just cut, cut across there yeah. for a second? Yeah. So so yeah. I'm thinking you got this unmerciful belt. You mm-hmm. went down like a sack of spuds because you're not a big fella. You I'm went not. down like a sack of spuds. You mm-hmm. were out cold, you think, for mm-hmm. a little while. And then mm-hmm. you confused me. You ended up in the bridewell. Yeah. So what happened there, and this is what I didn't understand, I thought because what, whenever I was getting up, I was trying to obviously defend myself of what just happened in my blurry haze, thinking that because I pushed somebody, I was arrested. What actually happened was, the guard explained it to me, I, PJ, sorry, I forget the term that he used, it's part of, if somebody's on the street, if they're under the influence of alcohol, they obviously are in harm to themselves, this is protocol, they bring them to the guard station, okay. they did it. They, they did it to protect myself. So you weren't actually arrested, were you? No? I wasn't arrested. I was confused. I actually wasn't arrested. Okay. So, okay. And I made a mistake by saying that I thought I was. And did anybody think of calling an ambulance for you? That didn't happen. There was no ambulance okay. called for me. There was okay. no ambulance called for me at all. I'm sorry if, I'm here, if you're hearing beeping there. Mm. Um, so the last couple of days, I have just, you know, Monday was a horrendous day for me, having to call my husband after staying in the Imperial, telling him what happened, telling him that I was assaulted, confused, thinking that I was arrested. I called the guard station back. They said, ring back this evening. We'll have more answers for you. It wasn't until I spoke to the actual guard himself, who was incredibly kind. He said, I wasn't aggressive. I was a gentleman when I went in there. I did everything they asked. He explained that it was part of their job. They did nothing wrong. And I'm sorry that I might have made a, a miscommunication in my Instagram stories. They did nothing wrong. Okay. But the person that assaulted me did get away. I won't talk about what's going on behind the scenes. No, but the person not. that did, the person that did it got away. Um, the last couple of days have just been really, really hard for me. One of the hardest parts was for my three and a half year old daughter to see me with the bruised face. She was so afraid of me. She didn't want to come to me, cuddle me. She was afraid. It was. It's quite intense. My eye was closed over. And to think that less than a month ago, I was talking to you about the beautiful article in the newspaper celebrating the story of myself and PJ and same-sex couple. And to think that less than a month later that I have been assaulted again. And you know the story. We've spoke to you many times. I'm just shocked that this is still happening on our streets of in Cork. I'm a confident flamboyant man and I will embrace that until the day I die. And to think that now I have to take these things into consideration that when I'm walking down the street... I could be assaulted for being gay in Cork. It's just really hard to take. Have you, have you seen a doctor, pal? I have, I have. I've gone to the doctor and, and everything's right, okay. Everything's okay, everything's okay. Good, good. I do, listen, the scars will fade, you know, the, but it's the emotional trauma that brings you right back know, there, you know. I know. It's very, very difficult. Well, well there, there, the minute I saw it and read it and, and looked at your gram, I thought of a story you told me about this taking, I mean, this took you back 30 years. Absolutely, absolutely. And when I was in in my, I was 18 or 19 and I had to go to court and I got a guy six months in jail for assaulting me, for gay bashing me, 
over 20 odd years ago. And here we are doing it. It's happening now again. And since I shared my story on Instagram, the amount of younger um, gay guys on the LGBT community have come forward telling me similar situations have happened to them in Cork in recent months. Not just from not just from the, the gay community, also from from straight couples, heterosexual men, heterosexual women, sexual assault. They just told me an abundance of stories. And I actually think what shocked me was when this happened to me many many years ago. Not many people cared. I'm so shocked and surprised and happy to see that the 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 outpour. Of, of of support towards me has been incredible. Yeah. It's just been, it's amazing to see that people don't tolerate this but anymore. You've been so supportive of other members of your community over the years. This is just a little bit of payback for being a nice fella. And I can tell you that now straight. Um, and you talk about the assaults. Like we were only talking mm. yesterday about a, a vicious transphobic assault on Mr. Hard Road yeah. on Tuesday. I couldn't even read it because it was too close to what happened to me. It's just that... The, In the middle I, of the it, day, like... Exactly, and I just don't think that there's any anywhere that you are safe. If somebody has it in you to cause harm on you, they're going to do it. And, you know, I've spoken about this before. This that You don't all of a sudden wake up one day and you are uh, a homophobe or, or a racist. You're taught this from a child, and I guess people educate your children that this is just accept people for who they are and live and let live. But unfortunately, it doesn't work out like that. And here I am now, 43 years old, having to deal with this, having to bring this into my home, having my daughter see me in that vulnerable week stage, bruised, Having to, I went. I went back to work yesterday, and people were. My clients were in shock that I went back, and they said, "David, you're so strong." And I said, "You know what? I've had this feeling before. I'm actually used to this. I understand what it's like. I'm just not used to having my daughter see me that way." And that has been really the hardest part. And yeah, it's very tough. It's really difficult. Yeah, I'm. I'm you're. I'm always very impressed with you because I know the anxiety that you dealt with as a younger man. I know the way it used to take over your your entire being. Yeah. You're so strong this morning and it's fantastic to hear that. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let that person win. I shared a post yesterday. I will not be a victim. I will not say why me because why, why not me? Why would I wish this on somebody else? I'm not going to change. I'm not going to not be myself. I'm never not going to love sparkly, shiny jewellery. I will always be myself. And there's nobody going to take that from me. I have support from my family and my friends. And I, and I, I know I'm loved. But ultimately, PJ, I love myself and no one's going to take that from me. Nobody, no bigot on the street that will knock me down. In the words of Madonna, the boots have come and trembled on me and I'm still alive. I'm not going to be defeated by this. I won't be. Good on you, my I friend. Good on you. Thank you for taking the call, VJ. Thank you for getting in touch. Really appreciate it. That's He's just a lovely fella. He's a lovely, lovely guy. David Babington, material boy, uh, on Instagram. He was walk, just walking back to his hotel after being out with his mates and he gets flattened in the street by some gauchite who thought it was a good idea. Yeah. No eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and then we had the, that awful attack in Skahard Road. I was reading about that actually on Facebook. Various conversations about that on Facebook the other day, middle of the day. This was night time, middle of the day. You have there was a poster. I came across it. A poster ripped down this young kid. It's all. She was a kid, Brianna Gay, in the UK, stabbed to death, sitting in a park, sitting in a park on a 
bright afternoon in February. Stabbed. Just for being trans and just for being there. And those numbers from the guards from, I know they were doing 20, 20, 20 of their own numbers, but 15% of personal assaults now are down to either your gender or your sexual orientation. There's a dirty, rotten, filthy, scummy element walking around causing harm to nice people like David Babington. And it, uh, it grinds my gears, to put it quite mildly. Quite mildly. Dean Goleen says that poor guy, the ones who did this should be horsewhipped. It's disgraceful the behaviour's going on. Horsewhipped? I wouldn't stop there, Dean. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. A lot of love there for Material Boy. Well done to that gent with a lovely man. He's right not to let this change him. That's from... From Bernie. 0818969696. Another daily dose of Dermot coming up later this morning. So there is. My favourite Dermot Kennedy song today. That's coming up. I think we'll do it between 11 and 12 today. One more chance to win your way to LA to see Dermot in May. It all rhymes. It all rhymes. Do it between 11 and 12. 0818 96 96 96 Did I say LA? Vegas I'm too focused on the rhymes this morning Dermot and Vegas You know the deal Give over uh, So Paul got in touch with us Now if we put everybody on the air Who contacts us looking for help With their homelessness situation We could realistically fill one dedicated show per week. Good luck. Sometimes you'd need to go to two. There are so many people out there with so many different stories to tell. But Paul, your one struck us. Um, you're a, you are what I would call a special case. You need help and you need it quickly. H- how long have you been homeless, young man? Good morning. Hi, yeah. Uh, so, um, about a year and a half ago, my landlord sold the apartment and I've had no rest to live since. Nice. But um, I've been staying at a tent house, but um, my epilepsy, my mental health has just gotten too bad that um, my buddy actually had a car and he just let me stay in his car so it's a bit more secure, but it's another place to stay. I know. So you're 22. Um, how stable is the epilepsy? Because I know stress doesn't it's, help. It's 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 all over the place. To be honest, like I've I've actually got three different types of epilepsy. I could be just walking down the road, and next I'd be thinking like, "Oh, I never want to find a place." And two seconds later, I could be down at the floor season. I see. So it's the very thought of it that can set off a seizure. That's awful. So yeah, have you declared yourself homeless? And and when you did, what did they say to you? Yeah, like, I've, I've declared myself homeless. Like, I've got um, good references from my previous landlord and everything. Like, and I've been over to the city hall to try and find a place with them and um, bring in medical support and stuff like that. But um, they just kind of they just keep sending me back and forth to places, really, to be honest. Yeah. Like, they sent you into the Simon, I think. But the Simon or any one of those places, they don't suit you. They really don't. It's... it's, it's my condition it just really wouldn't suit me to be staying in a place like that to be honest especially yeah. with the epilepsy it's the stress I think Paul 
the stress of it can bring on a seizure in seconds. So you just need to live without stress and that's, have your doggy with you. That's amazing. Like, like when people hear or see of a young fella homeless, the first thing they immediately think of is is drugs or alcohol. Yes. But it's really not the case. Like, it's, I really just, to be honest, all I want to do is just settle down and just move on and like... You don't drink, do you? You don't take anything? I, no, the last time I drank now was two Christmases ago. Yeah. Are you working at the moment? Can you hold down a job under stress like this? I can't work at the moment just simply because of the seizures, like they're all over the place. Like, oh, I see. I, I just worried in case I go get a job and then I end up getting a seizure and then the next day then I have no job. I know. And then that, that's just going to add more stress on top of me then. Like, I, I don't know. I just need to kind of find a, a place that I can call home for the meantime and get, get going from there. I understand. You're asking listeners, can they help? You just want a small little place to call yeah. your own. You can work. You can pay rent. Oh yeah, geez. Like I was, I was a chef uh, for for a while, but before that, before that, then I was, I was an apprentice plumber. Like so, I've got all my qualifications. I've got everything. Like okay. You're kind, of, you're kind of caught in a vicious circle, aren't you? You can't work because at the moment the epilepsy is too unstable. That's because of the stress of your life. If you can get the stress under control, you'll get the epilepsy under control. It's a vicious circle. It's an awful way. It really is because like, when I was younger as well, it was, I got denied college over the epilepsy. So I, it, it pushed me that bit more further to, to do, yeah. do good in life, if it makes sense. I know. And tell me, uh, where did you stay last night now? Um, in a car. But the car knows um, it's an old car and it doesn't even start or anything, so... Right. It's a buddy gave you that? Yeah, and he was after buying a new car and uh, this was his kind of first kind of, first kind of car. Yeah. And he was going to sell it, but he knew my situation, so he let me stay in the car. You just need someone to understand, give you a little start... Exactly. All right. Paul, I wish you well. I hope that, and I know that this vicious circle, the seizures yeah. are brought on by stress and the stress is brought on by the homelessness and the, oh, it's, a, it's an awful situation. Yeah, I know. It's catch crunchy too, really, to be honest. Your dog is probably the brightest thing in your life at the moment. Is it an assistance dog or just a, just an old puppy? I know. It's, um, it's actually, you know, it's Staffy. Um, oh. And I had it since he was a pup, but um, he, he's kind of just, when I go into get seizures, he start whining, and that's when I know then that there's something up. Isn't that amazing about dogs? Your dog knows when yeah, there's a seizure coming. It's crazy. Like, like he he could be fast asleep now, and if I make a weird like I usually make a noise for a seizure or something, right. if he hears the noise, he'll pop up and start crying. Isn't that fascinating? What's his name? Uh, his name's Rocky. Rocky. And he's just a regular staffy. He's not an assistance dog, but he can sense. Yeah, so just a regular staffy. Wow. That, is that helpful to you, kind of? If you, if he senses it, is it too... I, I know I'm going off the point here a little bit, Paul, but if he senses it in you, can you do anything to stop it then? There or just make yourself comfortable. I could do to stop it. I just have to make myself comfortable and get myself down into the into the position. I see. I see. It's a tough way to live. I I wish you well and look after yourself. Huh?
Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And then thanks for leaving me on there to talk to all your listeners. My pleasure. Take care, Paul. Thank you very much. Take care. You're welcome, fella. Apart from the whole story, the whole story of sense, the stress, the loop of stress and the stress leading to the seizures and the seizures causing the stress. Isn't that just another incredible story about a dog? Um, and you see this with actual trained assistance dogs, that, that they can sense a seizure coming, whatever it is, whether it's a smell, whether it's a sound, whatever it is. But there's a, just a regular doggy, his staffy, senses and starts whining when he knows that his master is, is headed for a seizure. He probably doesn't know what a seizure is. He just knows his master needs help. That's an that's that knocks me so whatever the the whole story that knocks me sideways that that a little a little doggy just senses that but dogs are brilliant that way we I always say this probably say this once a month we don't deserve dogs oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six coming back to some of the issues from yesterday uh, Sarah's ridiculous uh, ESP bill or electricity bill two thousand and something and her. Units are the same as last year. Her usage is the same as last year. Some smart arse was suggesting, is she living in the tumble dryer? No. Her units are, give or take, what they were this time last year. Uh, yeah, 2022. She she she, she got a, a bill of, what, three or four hundred quid. Her bill today is 2,222 euro and 94 cents for pretty much the same usage of units so to the smart arse would you know where else only the proc some idiot on the proc said oh she's living in the tumble door no she's not yeah. there are many electricity tariffs this comes in I spoke to this this chap uh, off the air yesterday for a few minutes just to verify, he knew what he was talking about. Believe me, he does. He said, there are many electricity tariffs that include discounts at the moment, especially ones involving air-to-water pumps and electric cars and all of that. Trust me, all these discounts are going to disappear in the long run. And when they do, the average household will see a rise of maybe €30 euro a week on top of what they're already paying now. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. There's so many other issues come up. Working conditions. This comes in all the time. We are at a time of full employment, and the government keeps telling us that. And look, the statistics support it. We are at a time of pretty much full employment. Truth is, though, a lot of that employment is fairly scrappy, to say the least. I work in a coffee shop part time. I've no contract. I started on twenty one hours a week. I got full time work in January. February of 14 hours. Last week I got seven hours. This week I have nothing. How am I meant to survive? Where's the respect? How can you get a flipping mortgage or a bank loan? You might get something out of the credit union. How can you build any kind of a life for yourself with hours like that? 21 hours a week's the contract. Full time in January. 14 hours in February. Seven hours last week and this week nowhere. How is anybody supposed to build a life based on that kind of a setup? 
on asking about uh, David and uh, what happened to him the other night it's a head injury he surely should have been brought to the mercy uh, says Frank I I would have thought the same I would have thought somebody would have called an ambulance for him but that's not what happened and as he said there's stuff going on behind the scenes he can't talk about and that's fine but you'd wonder why he wasn't why an ambulance wasn't called and why he wasn't brought to the mercy but thanks for that Frank Susie says, I can't help Paul with accommodation, but if he needs food for his dog, then I can help him. Uh, you're a kind and, and, and generous soul, Susie. 0818 96 96 96. Now, over on Reddit, I read this. This post will not be appreciated, and I get it why. I can get defensive too if people talked about my home country or my city. But do people from Cork realise how ugly and depressing and poor-looking their city is. There's a huge discrepancy about how much people earn and how poor the whole place looks. There are some former USSR, former Soviet Union cities, that look ten times better. Corkonians are a proud and kind people, but you're getting really effed around by the people who represent you. Tarek, you didn't set that post up to make friends, but people agreed with you. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How is it going? Good. Very strong words. How long did you spend here? A bit more than a year, all in all. And uh, I just want to start by saying that, you know, I don't want to pass as the ungrateful foreigner who came to Ireland and was hosted and nice talking shit about the place. Uh, The post came out of a place of frustration, you know, because the situation in Cork is just not normal. And if you don't mind me asking you a question, do you do you believe you are getting the city that you all deserve? Truthfully, Tarek, as a Corkman and a very proud one, when I walk down my main street on a spring morning, no. I know somebody wants to and give it to me down the line, but right now, no. And uh, why do you think people are just, you know, letting it happen? I mean, obviously, it's going to sound cliche because I'm French, but why don't people protest every single day? I mean, there are some derelict sites that have been derelict for more than 20 years. Like, for example, 42 Cornmarker Street has been derelict site for 28 years. I mean, how is that normal to have a derelict site in the center of a, you know, bubbling city center? Well, well, you're you're French. What would happen in in Paris or in Nantes or in Bordeaux? Well, I can 
I can definitely talk about my hometown, which is Lille, north of France, Been and there. what happened because Been there. the the city center and the old town was actually, you know, crumbling because it was really old buildings, and basically they just passed laws that you had to take care of your building, you couldn't let it derelict, otherwise you'd get fined every year. And uh, I can use other examples. Mm. My brother has a house in Belgium and he had to, um, like he, he bought it derelict and he had to do some repairs before renting it. And each year that it was not rented, he was getting fined. There are such laws here, or at least they keep telling us that they're coming, that if you leave a place, go to rack and ruin, that you will be you will be fined. Not too sure if it happens, but yeah. I actually read a bit about that. And do you call it levy? L-E-V-Y? Correct. Correct. Fine yeah. that you, so do you know how much of those fines were paid in 2020 for the whole city of Cork? You've done some research. Tell me. It, it was 140,000 euros. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. There is more than 700 uh, derelict sites in Cork City. That's right. That's right. And again, I'm not an expert, and I read a bit online. And for example, there is an architect who moved back to Cork from Amsterdam named Frank O'Connor. That's he right. Has a great Twitter account. That's right. Yeah. And he lists all the derelict sites and he's posting photos. And I'm just wondering, like, why there isn't a bigger political will? Why isn't it like the main topic of discussion politically? Yeah, the state of the place. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not just a case of me saying that the city is not pretty enough. I mean, it's obviously linked to other major issues like the housing crisis, for example. All of it is linked together. And I just don't understand why there is no political will about that. Mm. I would say, Tarek, and just as, as a local and an observer, I, I read your post and I had to say that you tell a very uncomfortable truth. That having been said, I also do know that things happen. They happen slowly. They happen way too slowly, but they do happen. Maybe we need to speed. We need to speed it up. Yeah, yeah I was reading about um, what's um, like about the person in charge of those derelict building from the city council, and you know, he was saying that they should use you know carrots and stick, but he believes that. You know, it should be more carrots than stick, but I feel like, you know, all the carrots have been used and, I mean, it's obviously not working. Yeah. It's obviously not working. And uh, I, I'm i sure, you know, uh, there are different situations behind all of those derelict sites, but whatever the situations behind them, explaining them is just not acceptable. It's not acceptable to have the second biggest city of a rich country looking like that. Those are strong words, but I can't disagree with one of them. It is wrong. We live in this beautiful place, this gorgeous city, but parts of it are just falling down, trees growing out the window, and nothing seems to get done. And um, it takes someone like yourself who lived here for a year to put that very uncomfortable truth to us. Did, did, what kind of a response did you get to the post? Well, actually, I was surprised because I had um, I had the idea I was going to get rusted, but most people agreed, and uh, I would say most people agreed uh, with what I wrote, which was surprising because, as I said, you know, nobody likes to nobody likes an outsider talking shit about their hometown. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. yeah but you, you also mentioned we are a proud and kind people and you couldn't be you couldn't be more right there. You know, well, I mean, when you were here and working and living among us, you got on with it, clearly. I did, but it started with, for example, very the first very months were very difficult because it was impossible to find a place. And there were a lot of moments where I thought it's a shame because I don't feel I can stay here because of that. You know, it's actually mm. affecting my mental health. I know. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, yeah. Finding your place. And here's another thing, and it's linked to the dereliction. There you are trying to find a place to stay and work here. You're looking around you and t- just take Patrick Street, all the empty space upstairs in Patrick Street, all the empty space upstairs in other streets and nothing being done about it. They're just lying there empty. Bring us back to Lille, uh, your beautiful city, which I have visited. What would they do in Lille if they all that empty space? Sorry, could you repeat? What would the they do? Question? What would the, the authorities question? do in Lille if they had all that empty space? Well, I think they would have an array of uh, of tools they could they could use, but um, the last resort, which would come quite fast, because a derelict building is not just. I mean, I'm a very strong defender of private property, as Irish people are. But a derelict building in a city centre, it's just not affecting the property of the person that owns it. It's affecting all the properties around it. Yeah. So I guess the last resort they, they would just auction it. They would just auction it to someone who would have the money uh, to uh, to actually fund the repairs and rent it. Yeah, we have compulsory purchase here, but it takes an awful long time to get to that point. Yeah, now again, it's not an ideal solution, but it's a much better solution than doing nothing or doing things so slowly that at some point, I think Cork City is going to be sp- quite unattractive for people to move in and that's when you actually end up with a dying city yeah yeah there was a man from cnn mr quest came to ireland last year and he said pretty much what you're saying now a lot of dereliction and it's not an attractive place to come as a tourist and that's sad yeah, and it, it's sad that people would rather go around Cork, West Cork, as tourists. But I think something that is maybe even more important than tourists is people who come to work in Cork because obviously you have a great economy and a lot of jobs. They don't want to stay. Yeah, they well, don't want to stay. And a lot of the people, foreigners that I met in Cork, left not because again it's not just a case of the city is not pretty enough but it has repercussions on the housing market that makes living in cork very very difficult you cannot have your own unit you have to share although you're earning a good salary and in the end you know with the pandemic and the rise of work from home people are just going to move back to their country with the jobs they actually found in ireland that's a very good point just a more general term away from the dereliction. How did you, what did you think of the city as a place to live? Public transport, for example, quality of food, quality of entertainment, uh, socially, how did you find Cork? Was it, did you feel safe walking the streets? 
yeah, I did feel safe and I had a lot of amazing moments. And uh, my uh, my partner who visited a few times, she has a lot of good memories of Cork. And again, it's not only negative at all, you know, yeah. but yeah, public transport, I mean, it's a running joke and I don't think I need to comment on that. Every Corkonian feel the same as I do about public transportation and bus sometimes not even showing up. But beside that also, like, the the food is great going out at night in cork is amazing i felt completely safe all the time mm. i would say and um and i guess you could do with a bit more cultural things to do i feel like um like the the culture the cultural life of the city is kind of resting on the shoulders of pubs which is great in one sense but i mean you should also maybe have a bit more of things happening I like that. I like that line. I'd quote you on that. The cultural life of the city is resting on the shoulders of pubs. I like that, Terry. It's a very good line. Isn't it the case? Don't you have the feeling that it's the case? Yeah, I I can't can't disagree with it. I can't disagree with it. You you always have activities either during the day or during... uh, I mean, I would see things in pubs that you obviously don't see anywhere else, like drawing classes. I saw drawing classes in the pub on a Sunday afternoon, which is great, but you should also have other venues than pubs, I would say. If you were to give us a score out of 10 (laughs) as a place to live and work and socialize and to be, what would you give us, Tariq? Well, I wouldn't give you uh, a rank because I think Irish people are amazing and Corkonians even more, so I wouldn't feel comfortable giving a rate what I'm but I can say that when you're coming, like we, most of foreigners are coming to Ireland for work, for work, for a job. And if you put that outside of the equation, I don't think people would move to Ireland, which is sad because a country as attractive as Ireland, as with a, such a rich history and culture should attract people. I mean, if you put aside the weather, obviously, <laughs> but it, but 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 the truth is you're only getting people attracting people because the economic situation in their own country is not good enough yeah. but ireland should also attract people for uh its beautiful uh regions for its very rich culture and it's only because of the jobs that people are coming and staying or most of them i would say okay. which is sad lovely to talk to you Derek. Lovely to talk to you, and sometimes we need to be told these uncomfortable truths. Appreciate you taking my call. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Justin has also gotten in touch <clears throat> with us. Justin, you're originally, or your family are originally, of Cork. Um, I think we may have spoken before. You now live in West Cork. Um, your people are from the north side, and you have noticed uncomfortable things happening, like happen in America. Morning. Hey, how's it going, PJ? Yeah, you you were talking coming uh, in the in the wake of the the murder of Bishop Dave, as they called him in in LA. Yeah, and there's that seems to be a problem going on in the states. Um, when we spoke last time, I told you me and my family moved here for a better quality of life because the United States has just gone mental with violence and and there's multiple issues over there, whether it be racial equity, uh, different communities and sub-communities all vying for their voice. But the biggest problem there is that we saw was the crime rate was starting to spike. And in places that normally it wouldn't, it was getting out of control. Now, I'm a former law enforcement officer, 
And I started to see the writing on the wall three, four years ago mm. in the States. And with the whole, from George Floyd forward, it's pushed it on. Now, what happened to George Floyd was horrible. And the bad apples in a police department need to be removed consistently. Yeah. It's They got to constantly be under review. But with the whole push to defund the police, they kind of tied the officer's hands. Crime has been on the rise. And I don't know which way it's going to go, but we needed to get out at the time. We've been talking about the guards a lot in the last few days, and we're not commenting on the individual quality of any guard. But one thing I noticed, you talk about defunding, the numbers of guards in the city. Quite a selection of our main guard stations, our headquarters of guard stations. Their numbers are down nearly 30% on 10 years ago. We don't have enough police. And when you don't have enough police properly funded, problems begin to happen. Am I right? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I'd come back to Cork City quite often to see family and, and, you know, it used to be I'd walk from the north side down into the city and, you know, you'd run to the guard, you'd see him around town and, and it did feel safe, you know, and I know the last caller direct it was saying how he felt completely safe. But, I, you know, I've noticed we moved to West Cork because we didn't want to live in Cork City because it's completely changed from the time I was a child, teenager, young adult, early years in the military visiting, and it seems to be going downhill. What with, kind of things have changed as you remember them? Okay, so I'll give you one example. On Oliver Plunkett Street, I was there about two weeks ago in the middle of broad daylight in front of the post office down there. There's a group of young men just getting high. Yeah. Just right in the middle of the city. You know, another incident, my wife and I were in English Market, and this homeless man came up to her and kept getting closer and closer and closer like he was going to try to rob her or something. And it wasn't until I turned around to, you know, confront him or say something to him that he walked away, took off. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I, I don't know. For her being a woman, I worry about when she goes into the city by herself. With my daughter, who's 18, when she goes into the city, I worry about her walking around by herself. In fact, I try to have them home before dark, you know, if they can be. But it it is concerning. Like, with your background, Justin, you'd be a man who is well-trained to look after himself and those in his company. But not everybody's got that background. No, they don't, and I understand that. And I think part of the problem is you you have... all the guards that I've met are wonderful. You know, out here in West Cork, we have only a handful. And I've gotten to know all of them just from walking around and seeing them in the community. Mm-hmm. In the last six months in Cork City, and I'm up there twice, three times a week, I've not seen any guards. I've seen more parking enforcement officers than I've seen guards. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of an issue. I mean, you got a half a city of a half a million people and, what, 500 guards? Yeah. It, it reminds me of the old movie, uh, The Warriors, where Roger Hill said, you know, can you count? <laughs> right? There, there's there's more of us than there is of them. Yeah, I remember. And that, that kind of ties their hands, yes. you know. And and you, you say that when this happens, you end up losing your finest guys, which is interesting because we do the numbers on this. They come out of the college. They come out of the, of, of the guy of the college, qualify, and go on patrol 
And for every one that comes out, somebody else retires. So if we hear that we've had 200 new guards coming out of Templemore, we then hear but 90 are retiring and quitting early. And that's that's also a problem because you need to start hiring more. You need to boost your retention numbers. You need to hire them at different stages so you have a constant turnover. If you got people retiring, you need to have people going through the college to come out in time to replace those. Um, you don't have a huge military presence in the country, and their budgets have been cut, so why not put that into public safety? I can tell you where we live, if we have to call the guards and the guards have the day off, we have to wait 30, 40 minutes for the nearest guard to get here. And to be honest with you, half the time, if there was something happening, I would take care of it before I call a guard. Yeah. I, I would, because these guys are outnumbered. They don't have the, you know, they have training. They have, they need more support. They need more numbers for backup. You know, it, yeah. I get. I guess if there was one specific thing, they really need to focus on giving them better training, better equipment, better staffing, have them have a presence in the city rather than just sitting in the office waiting for a phone call. And there's there's safety in numbers. The more of them there are, yeah. the more the riffraff will go away. You, you, you were a cop, were you? Justin? Yes, I worked for the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, more directly with the U.S. federal prison system, yeah. both with as a custody officer, a special operations response okay. team member. The staffing and, uh, levels you see here, would mm-hmm. those staffing, and I know comp- comparisons are difficult to make, but the staffing levels you see here compared to the staffing levels in the States, would that be allowed to happen in the States? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, if you look at, uh, I'll give you a city in, in America, Fayetteville, Arkansas, a college town, okay. right? fairly mild town when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina happened, there was a lot of influx with people from New Orleans. The crime rate started going up. They raised the profile of the officers. The population of that city is roughly between 80,000 and 85,000 and they have about 250 armed officers to police all that. Yeah. But they work in teams. The other issue you guys have on hand is your response times. Your response times from the officers, and like the young man who was speaking earlier who got attacked, mm. those guards should have taken him immediately to the hospital or had an ambulance on scene before they transported him to a jail cell. Yeah, there's stuff going on behind the scenes there, possibly best not to say. but but No, I understand, but yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it that they, they did anything wrong. No, but, no, 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 he said that himself, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the response time. You know, I was reading an article... Uh, on American news about an Irish rooster recently who accidentally killed a man here in, in Cork. And what they, what I found funny was that I'm reading the article and they talk about he's the, his friend is on the phone with the emergency services and they're telling him to give him CPR. And it took 25 minutes for an ambulance to get to him. Yeah, that's in the news again this morning. Just one last quick question, Justin, in terms yeah. of visibility. One thing we hear time and time again, we had it here Monday and Tuesday, people don't see cops on their feet in the street. As, that, as a former a, law mm-hmm. officer, is that a, a real deterrent? Is it a better deterrent to see a cop at the end of a street on his or her feet than it is driving around in a car? Oh, absolutely, because think about all the outreach that cops can do to become, you know, to represent their community. Their job is to serve and protect. 
And the only way you can serve and protect is by know what's going on in the community. If you're sitting in your car all day, you're not going to hear what's going on. You're not going to interact with these people. You're not going to build trust with the people that you're there to protect. And those people are less likely to reach out to you when there is something going on that needs to be addressed or dealt with. You know, Justin, I, hate, for no I hate to say it. Can I, can I say one more thing? Of course, Ken. They're uniforms. The guards in the 90s looked professional, dressed well, had the gear they needed. This new uniform thing, it's like dealing with somebody on the love boat. I, I wouldn't be worried about it if I was a criminal <laughs> element. <laughs> they really need to change something and make a presence. They need to be seen in public and not confused with a mall security guard. You know, because that's... The new, that, the new uniform looks too casual, yeah? Yeah, that shows their authority, and, and not power, but their authority to enforce the law. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time, Justin. We'll talk again. I really enjoyed that. He's a former law enforcement officer. He knows what he's talking about. And those are his observations. Make them, make of them what you will, please. 0818 96 96 96. Thanks, Justin. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. You talk about police and what it's like to be a cop and what it's like to be a guard and what it's like to be a PSNI officer. You must think... He seems to be okay. He's critical but stable. That man in Oma, uh, Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell. He's been named as this morning. Uh, primary focus of the investigation now on dissidents. He was attacked and shot while he was training kids. He was coaching kids sport. And he was in f- with his son. And he was shot in front of his son. Uh, He's led a number of major investigations, including the killing of Natalie McNally uh, just there before Christmas in Lurgan. Uh, Thoughts with him. And, you know, that's an extreme case, but everyone who puts on the uniform of any police force anywhere in the world runs that risk every day. And he was off duty. He was off duty. So clearly he was targeted, the poor devil. We hope he'd be okay. And that the youngsters around him won't be too traumatised by what they've seen. A lot of love in the room, I'm going to tell you, for both Tarek and Justin uh, this morning. Kevin, you wanted to pick up on something that Justin said. Morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What do you want to say? Um, yeah, look, it was just the last gentleman a while ago was speaking on, on Cork and a few houses have been derelict and... and I just wanted to make the point. I, I, it blows my mind on, on on a daily basis, wondering how much tax the government actually take in from us on a daily basis, monthly basis, annual basis, whatever it may be. Like all the car tax you pay for your old car, that's like we've no better roads from it. You pay taxes on all the work you do, on everything you buy, everything you spend, just tax on absolutely everything. But we have nothing to show for it. We've no better houses. As he said, there's all the houses in the city and at the mind outside the city are all run down, derelict. Uh, most of them haven't seen a lick of paint in 20 years, you know. And 
I, 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 I just don't understand where all the money is going. It seems to be all going into the government, but nothing seems to be coming out. Any little kind of jobs they might do seem to be based in the cities, but nothing really makes it outside the city that much. Yeah. Um, yes. And I just, I just, I just don't know what, what's going on. How, how are they taking so much money every single day of us? Not even of us, but they get a lot of money from the European Union as well. Like, and we just have nothing at all to show for it. I just, I just don't know why. You think for the taxes we pay, we're not seeing much of a return. No, like if you go into any other European city, like our country or whatever, you, you, you have a look at their railway systems, their bus systems, their roads, their hospitals, their schools. Everything is run and much, much, much better off than ours. We have a small little tiny country here full of a couple of million people paying taxes. As he said, a full full work rosters there. Everybody working these days. All the tax we're getting, all the cars on the road. But we've nothing to show for it. We have a housing crisis. We have people homeless. We have people suffering with all sorts of mental issues and, and, and health issues that aren't being sought after. They're, they're scrimping and scraping every penny off every single person. But they seem to be making an absolute killing like. But where is it all we, going? We have people getting on planes to have their knees and hips done in Spain in a matter of weeks while they would be waiting yeah. three or four years to see a doctor here. Talk about your teeth even. You're going off to every other country to get your teeth done for a couple of thousand, whereas you'd be charged a new house mortgage here to, 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 to get a root canal done. You know, it's, the, the pricing is, is completely insane. I just, I just, none of it makes sense to me. And I just, don't, I just think that we, we must be taken for a ride. And there must be somebody out there who knows how to do the financial looking into where the money comes into and how much of it goes out to and... and how how are we how are we so badly off in compared to every other European country out there? Like because we are, and every, in every statistic that you can stand up, we are a wealthy country. Kevin, thank you. He was listening to Tarek. Uh, other people listening to Justin. Um, a brilliant show this morning. Well done to you. It's, isn't that mad? We've a Frenchman and an American telling us the truth about our city. I totally agree with everything they say. It's a dump, and dumps draw rubbish. If you know what I mean says Anne. I'd never, Anne, like to refer to Cork as a dump. Uh, we have our problems and we could do an awful lot better with our beautiful main street, although it's great to see new stuff moving in. It's great to see new businesses opening and they're, they're starting to open. But yeah, Tarek called us out a few home truths and so too did Justin. In fact, on what Justin said, guards must feel, must feel so unappreciated uh, and when they're humiliated by this new uniform. What about French ones or Portuguese ones or something like that? I hope people are listening and back, Justin. I lived in the North Side. We had a great relationship with the guards and I really hate all the changes that have happened. Yeah, Justin summed up the new uniform. I have to say, I don't have an issue with it. I like a person to be comfortable in the clothes in which they work. I, I have no problem with the guards having a summertime uniform um, or a uniform that's light and, and easy to wear. I'm not too sure if I'd go as far as polo shirts, but there you have it. Uh, what do you think? Uh, there's a the thing. What do you think of the new Garda uniform? It's there for a while now, but as the weather improves and the spring gets warmer and the summer comes, we'll really see it. We're driving down to uh, Parky Cueve or down towards Parky Cueve last year, and there was a, a guard on on traffic duty down there in, in um, Ballantemple. 
because it was the day of a concert and it was a screaming hot summer day, a beautiful hot summer day. I was sweating like a stuck pig inside in the car and this poor devil is standing there in 27, 28 degrees. He had a short-sleeved shirt on him but he had the old bull's wool, the old heavy trousers and the poor man must have been cooking alive inside him. So you would like to see guards with a summer uniform but I love what Justin said. The new one is like something off the love boat. 0818969696 on cost of living and other things we will talk later this morning to the Minister for Public Expenditure Pascal Donoghue, he's, he's in Cork today and we'll be putting some questions to him about the cost of living and the support due to Irish citizens and yesterday we went through the package that came out earlier in the week and we'll chat with the Minister about that a little bit later on this morning uh, back to Tarek we reported a house with a dangerous roof to the council. The house isn't far behind the roof and falling down. What happened? There was a green net put over the guttering to catch the falling slates. Ah, yeah. A strong wind could catch a slate and blow it down on top of someone. And it looks awful. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there's been some developments, as you'll know, in the last few days, in the case of Nicola Bully. Um, on Sunday morning, poor misfortunate woman was found in the reeds away from the river and her inquest has been held in the last couple of days and we spoke last week with um, Oliver Whitfield Miocic from Talk TV who'd been covering the story almost since the day she went missing I just want to catch up again with Oliver We'll do that next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, so people not exactly agreeing with Tarek either. I will come back to it. I will come back to it. But certainly both he and Justin have been conversation starters. So join that conversation. 0818969696. Whether you agree or disagree with either of them. The inquest took place in the last couple of days into the death of Nicola Bully. She was found in the River Wire, or just off the River Wire, in reeds off the River Wire, at quarter past two on Sunday, February 20th. It was the news that everybody was dreading. Um... She was last seen on February 27th. She had been walking her dog, as she'd done many, many mornings, most mornings, in fact. She walked her dog after dropping her daughters to school. They were aged six and nine. Lancashire Police gave a press conference Monday and said the investigation had been complex and highly emotional. The police, of course, very widely criticised for their handling of the whole thing and for the information that they put into the public domain about her. Um, her family, by the way, were not asked that inquest. Inquests can be very quick and very formal. It's only about five minutes. Very quick and very formal in the UK. But if you like, we're, we're at the point now where the world is moving on from uh, Nicola Bully. It's just how it happened. But left after that are her family, who have to try to come to terms with what's happened. Their pain, it's not something we can imagine, is it? I mean, her friends, her neighbours, her workmates, her family, everyone has to deal with this in their own way. We can just wonder what we would do and, and hope we never have to. The story went global. 
mainstream media picked up on it. It grew over a period of days. Social media picked up on it. And now the questions are being asked over the way it was reported and what lessons might be learned or must be learned from how it was reported and how the investigation was handled by the police and the information that they gave out towards the latter stages of the investigation about her problem with, problems with drink, etc., etc. Now, I spoke on Friday, was it Thursday or Friday, to Oliver Whitfield Miocic from Talk TV. He's with their first edition programme there. He joins me again now. It's best to sum it up, Ollie. The people of St. Nicholas on the wire have been, are reeling from this and will be for some time. Morning. Yeah, good morning. It will be reeling for some time because this is a community that's really been through the ringer. I think if you just look at the events of what happened on Sunday where the police found the body, they then informed the family and then on Monday we got that formal identification and a really stinging uh, criticism of part of the press, of people who'd been criticising online and accusing the family wrongly and... Uh, speculating wildly Uh, this is a community which is very tight-knit it's a very quiet village it's very quaint and so to have this amount of spotlight on them has been so hurtful and disrupting it turned into an awful circus let's be honest about it didn't it it did i mean you had journalists there uh, you know all hours of the day uh you know i'd like to say that we were some of the better journalists, we were trying to fact check and debunk myths and all that sort of stuff, but not everybody's like that. You know, it's, it's a tough media landscape at the moment. Editors are always after the sort of latest line, the, the most salacious line. And so we did see certain other members of the press, you know, pushing things that we knew for a fact were, were, were not correct. Um, so it, it's it's been a tough time. And then, of course, you had the TikTokers who were there. Mm. Even on the day where uh, the police were waiting to identify the body, there were still people who travelled down to the area to go and have a look at the bench and to come to the area. So it's, it's just been a really sad story to report yeah. on. The family issued a statement very critical, I think in particular of Sky and of ITV, after being asked to give the family some space, went to the door. You know, as a reporter, you understand your editor will send you to the door, but it's not to be done, is it? It's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think any editor that would get that interview would, would love to play it. And, you know, having done the so-called uh, death knocks, as they're known in our industry yeah. before, sometimes you get a family who do want to speak to you. And so I think really what what would be beneficial is if there was some sort of code of conduct or there was an understanding where once the police say something, we then know that we can't do it. It's a very much a grey area. You've got to remember press regulation in the UK at the moment is pretty much voluntary, apart from in the broadcast sector where the investigator Ofcom can launch its own investigation. Newspapers are pretty much self-regulating. And so Mm. there's a lot of grey space. And I think a lot of the problems that came with the media, with social media, did stem from the fact that the police communications, it's been not only criticised by us journalists, it's been criticised by former police detectives. During the first press conference, the police said that there was no significant issues with Nicola's health. Then they had to row back on that 
sort of 17, 18 days later to reveal these vulnerabilities in quite a spectacular fashion that they did. As a journalist, if a police office or a press office tells me we've got a missing person with vulnerabilities, we always step back from that. You know, if there's ever anything to do with mental health, anything that makes somebody extremely vulnerable, as the media or as a responsible media journalist, you think, okay, there's more to this than we know. And I think if the police had been forthright with that information right from the beginning, a lot of news channels, journalists would have definitely taken a step back. Yeah, And a lot of people then were saying, did the police need to tell us any of this information? Was it of any use to the public to reveal her, her vulnerabilities? There's that to be balanced out as well. Yeah, there is. You know, there's 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 so many components of this story where you just you wish if, if only it had been handled a different way at this moment or at that moment, potentially there could have been so much heartache saved. Yeah, and in the middle of it, we never forget the, the grieving, devastated family. One of your colleagues on Talk TV, Ollie, I think, put it best. It was a Julia in the morning said, "This turned into an episode of Happy Valley." Yeah, and. You know, not everything is a police drama. Not everything ends neatly wrapped up in a bow in 45 minutes with clear answers. And I think a lot of people have got into crime dramas are incredibly popular. The crime documentaries are incredibly popular too. And I think it's easy for society to maybe look at these stories and think, oh, it's just another Netflix series. But actually, it's not. These are real people's lives These are real professionals, i.e. the police who are dealing with these things. And so, you know, in in a modern day society where we want everything quicker and now and available at our fingertips, I think sometimes you do have to remember to step back because the police had been saying all along, we believe she's in the river. It can take a long time. It is a very, very difficult part of the river to search. I think sometimes you just have to step back and go, you know what, we've got to leave this with the professionals. Let them do their job, and when they've got it done, they'll tell us what they did. Yeah, one of the fears that has arisen, I've read some articles about this, Ali, in the last couple of days, is that now the next, the next family of a missing person might not report it, might not seek help. They might just go search themselves. You don't want that happening. Yeah, well, charities are certainly worried about that prospect. They're worried that if a family member did have somebody go missing and they did have, I don't know, some other vulnerabilities that they would be concerned that that police force would put that information out into the public domain. And I mean, you can you can sort of understand why the Bully family didn't want that information going out there. To mention alcohol is such a label and yeah. it in some ways sort of taints the the name and the image of of the person and so you, i can i can sort of see why charities are really concerned and have been have been up in arms um it is definitely one of those cases that i think will be looked at really intensely by people that run policing colleges and leadership courses and they will say we did good here we didn't do so well here and this is the lessons that we've got to learn mm. because you know for everything from the media spotlight to the social media angle to the communications it was very very intense and all of this while a family grieves oliver i thank you for being with me again may i having watched a lot of your work in the last couple of weeks compliment you on good, solid, balanced factual reporting and thank you again. Thank you very much.
Uh, it's uh, Oliver Oliver from Talk TV. Um, it, it's just a sad, sad story. Oliver Whitfield, Mayachich. You find his work, all, actually, if you follow him on Twitter, he puts a lot, of, a lot of his work up on Twitter. The guy's worked all over the world, looking into his past. We're just going to be talking to him last couple of weeks or so. He's worked all over the world. Very experienced reporter. Great to be able to, to call upon him for something like that story from the UK. Uh, the tragic story of Nicola Bully. 0818-96-96-96. Fair points from Tarek, but we've a great balance here too between looking after the lower waged and the unemployed, modernising towns and cities and providing healthcare in the state system. It's all got to be handled realistically. People have to be realistic and manage our expectations, I guess is what you're saying. We pay a lot of tax. That's the common theme of all of our callers. We pay an awful lot of tax and what do we get for it? You you wait for years and years and years to see a consultant but you can go to Spain. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In a couple of weeks, the HSE will pay, admittedly, but you can go to Spain in a couple of weeks. Our guards, are their numbers are down. Our major guard stations are down 30%. Some of them 30% on where they were 10 years ago in terms of that awful word they use now, headcount. A horrible corporate word, headcount. The parts of our street, our city, are falling down. Rotten, derelict, disused, horrible. And yet we have other parts of town that are fantastic. There's an imbalance there. Um, and and people like it. It takes, and I know people don't like it, but let's call a spade a spade here. We've had two people. One, a foreign chap, French lad, come over here, spent a year working here, called us out for a few things that he saw. And then Justin, who's, he's Irish, but grew up in the States, worked in law enforcement in the States, came back and now lives in West Cork, and he's calling out the things that he's seen. And you have to take these comments on board. You can't just go la, la, la and accuse people of not not waving the flag or wearing the jersey. I'll wear the jersey. I'll wear the jersey any day, any time for you. And the proudest Corkman that ever stood up in two shoes. But when someone like Tarek 
calls a few home truths to me and someone like Justin calls a few more home truths to me, I wouldn't be fair to my city if I didn't say, yep, you have a point. That former GAA player who was arrested yesterday as part of a fraud investigation has now been released without charge. I think everybody kind of knows who it is, but no one is saying, because you can't at this stage of the investigation. But the former GA player arrested yesterday has been released without charge, that breaking story this morning. Imagine being a public servant, says Padraig. You're literally putting a target on your back, whether you be a guard, a nurse, a doctor, or whatever. These people have families at home when they finish their shift. Scum forget these people are just trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. Sorry, lads, can't come in here because I'm at work at the moment from Padraig. Yeah, it, I, I, my, my missus is a public servant. Um, and, yeah, sometimes when you work in the public sector, you are putting a, a target on your back. Good point, Padraig. Well made. 0818-96-96-96. is the official media partner of Cove Ramblers FC. This Friday night, Cove Ramblers take on Wexford FC at St. Coleman's Park. Kickoff is 7.45pm. The Street Fleet will be there supporting the team. So bring the family for a great night of football and fun. For tickets, see coveramblers.ie. With Cork's 96FM. Some sad news this morning from the world of broadcasting and sports broadcasting in particular. I see the death has been announced this morning of John Matson. Motti, the great football commentator, BBC, and he worked on other platforms as well. 77 years of age, he was a Lancashire man. He covered 29 FA Cup finals, 10 World Cups. He passed away at the age of 77. Uh, rest in peace, Motti. Uh, later this morning, we'll be talking to the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Dunahue. We'll ask him about the cost of living crisis and all of the support payments that were announced <clears throat> earlier in the week. And we went through them yesterday in detail with John Lowe, uh, the money doctor. We also got some distressing emails over the last couple of days, particularly Sarah's one, which uh, I'll just go through it again in brief. She got a bill from Electric Ireland. She has an air-to-water system in her home. Her bill is €2,022.94. Her use of units, according to herself, is pretty much the same as it was this time last year. They were told, she said, that it's the best and the greenest, the cheapest type of energy provider, yet anybody she knows with air-to-water has had massive bills this month. All Mums of school-going kids. What the hell is going on, she asks. We're not doing anything differently. The bill she's just got is the same as her take-home pay. How am I supposed to pay my child, hun- my child minder? And all the time, the companies are posting massive profits. I'm done with this country, she said. She's very upset, mum of two. She, some people were suggesting yesterday there could be a mistake in her tariff or a mistake in her bill. But there are a lot of huge 
bills around. Ken O'Connell is uh, an electrician and joins me. Ken, could there be a mistake in that bill or is it just the way we are? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, Unfortunately, there's probably not a mistake in the bill. What I see happening a lot, PJ, is um, customers of mine would have been getting estimated bills all of the time and then their their meter gets read properly or there's a smart meter put in and it gets read remotely and then they make up the difference, you know, from what the estimate was to what it actually, what was actually used. Mm. So, if you actually balance it out or work it out, then over the course of the year, it will it will balance out a bit better than the big bill of the two thousand euro for the two months that Sarah had. But PJ, it's a problem. It's happening everywhere. These air to water heat pumps are going in all over the place. They are greener, definitely they're greener, but electricity is very expensive. You know, and they run these heat pumps. They run twenty four seven. That's you right. Know? You can't. There's not like the the boiler in the attic or the boiler in the in the hot press. No, they're on all the time. Oil or if if you yeah, like if you take your old oil or gas central heating system, know that a lot of people would have in their homes. You turn it on when you need it. You boost it for an hour. You turn it on for two hours, whatever. It comes on. It heats your house and it turns itself off. The thing, the way heat pumps work, is that they're constantly extracting heat from the air outside and they're pumping it around the house then, and they're keeping the house at a certain temperature. But for to keep it at that temperature, they have to run 24-7. But then, for, as well as the heat pump running itself, which they're quite big units, PJ, you've also got all the ancillary stuff, you have pumps and so on and so forth, that are also um, using energy all the time, you know. They've, a lot of them then would also, PJ, would have immersion elements, you know. Mm. So because the heat pump can't get your hot water up to temperature there can be sometimes up to six kilowatt immersion heaters that are bringing your hot water up to temperature as well so there's no two ways about it pj they are expensive the, mm. the problems i see with them pj is they're not set up properly um they're they're not commissioned properly um, how do you mean ken it's so by the installers pj like there's been just an explosion in heat pump installations in the last few years and i'm not sure if we've suitably qualified or trained people actually put them in there's there's very few experts in the field certainly mm-hmm. around cork you know and they're going into like all new houses now aren't they it's a standard in installation and like fair enough it's lower carbon obviously we have to reduce our carbon footprint absolutely absolutely but we're putting in we're building these very highly efficient homes a-rated homes we're putting in very expensive heating systems into them you know yeah um and it's cost a lot of money pj there's no there's no two ways about it you know yeah. now on the on the flip side of that pj when you have one of these heat pumps, you then have no longer have an oil bill or a gas bill. But you wouldn't want it with an electricity bill like that. It, yeah. And as well, PJ, another thing like I was just having a look there earlier on this morning, electricity at the moment is around 40 cents per unit, right? right? Gas is around 13 cents per unit. So even though they claim that the heat pumps are up to three times as efficient as gas, the electricity to run the heat pump is also nearly three times as expensive as, as gas, you know? Yeah. Also, we're not so, used to, I think, Ken, we're not used to as people in keeping something like our heating on 24-7. Even in the middle of winter, we'll decide, I'm just putting on another jumper and I'll turn off that exactly. boiler or just heat me water. It's not that cold. No, we live in a fairly mild country, PJ. You know, we're building very highly insulated homes. It's fairly mild. It never gets that cold in Ireland. I know we have our cold snaps. And I suppose when a cold snap does come, air to water heat pumps, they work even harder to maintain the temperature in the house. So people would often say when a cold snap comes, they feel in the houses with the air to water heat pumps, they feel that the temperature in the house has risen a little bit. And that's because the heat pump outside is working so hard to keep the temperature in the house and yeah. to keep the hot water to a certain temperature as well, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's that, eating that, that the electricity. The bills are so high. Yeah. Pardon? It's eating the electricity eating electricity, PJ. And like, look, some people will say, 
um, you know, they'll compare themselves to their neighbours. But it's very hard to compare like with like because even if if you have your house set, PJ, your heating set to let's say twenty one degrees, and my house is set to eighteen degrees, there's going to be a huge difference every two months in the cost of our ESP bill. Really, that's just that three degrees, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And down to things like, you know, a lot of these houses are airtight with heat recovery ventilation systems that pumps the air around the house and cleans it and pumps it back around the house. You open doors, you open windows. You know, the heat pump then has to kick in to get to keep the house at the temperature. You know. And we'd often be doing jobs in houses and you'd nearly be afraid to leave a door open after you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing. Some of these new houses, you're not supposed to open the window. God, I can't, I can't imagine living no. like that. No, I, I can't either. I can't either. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know, have we put the cart before the horse here, PJ? Because I understand what we're trying to do and we're trying to get the net zero of carbon and all that. And we want all of our electricity to be generated from wind and solar and wave mm. energy and so on and so forth. But but at the moment we're not doing it, and well, we seem I, to be. I, I can't imagine a summer's day not having half the back of my house open, which is what it, is the situation. Well, I don't turn on my. I've gas heating at home, PJ. It's upstairs, downstairs, and it's the hot water. My heating won't be on from probably next month, April yeah. till end of August. You yeah. know, it just won't. It won't be turned on. Whereas with the heat pump. It will. It will keep. The, it won't have to obviously work as hard to keep the house at the temperature because the air outside will be warmer. But it will be still keeping your hot water warm and stuff like that. And you know, so there's always that little cost constantly going. You know. So unfortunately, the news. You know? The news for, for Sarah is that she just got an accurate read, and and there's nothing she can do. Can she? Probably, I mean, she surely she can go back she, to her supplier and say, I can't afford that. Oh, absolutely. And look, the suppliers are very good to deal with people like that. You know, I've had customers who've, you know, been in tough situations and they're very good to deal to deal with people like that. In fairness, if in my experience, you know, mm. um, and as well, PJ, just another thing as well is I see there are sometimes heat pumps being put into houses that really aren't suitable for them. Yes. It, like they say that uh, you need minimum, minimum B3 rating in your house for a, for a heat pump to, to work correctly, you know, Um I see some places there and, and people are putting in heat pumps, but they're not spending the money on the insulation. They're not spending the money on the windows. And that's where you will make the real savings, you know? Yeah, that's. I'm sure your mother and, and mine had things. Stop, close that window, you're heating the street. If you have a oh, house, yeah. if you have a heat pump and your house isn't properly set up for it, you're heating the street. Well, there you go. There, uh, PJ, uh, an, an oil or gas system, I know it's fossil fuels and I know we're trying to get away from it. Yeah. But... My only issue with the heat pumps is I think we've put the car before the horse. I don't think that they're the answer. They're very expensive. If anything breaks in them, they're extremely expensive to fix. They need to be serviced every year. A service will cost you about 200, 250 to €300 Euro for a heat pump service. They, they have to be serviced. If a unit goes, they'll last 10 to 15 years. A unit will cost you upwards of, let's say, €5,000, upwards of that to replace the unit, to buy the unit, sorry, to replace it. Whereas your gas boiler at home or your oil boiler, it's still a lot of money, but it's a, it's a thousand euro compared to to the bigger money of the heat pumps, you know. All right, um, all right. Yeah. Ken, unfortunately, no good news in that phone call, but thank you. Uh, they are expensive devils to run. They eat electricity, these, these heat pumps that we're being told are the future. Now, Michael, on the bills and Sarah's bill and my upcoming conversation with, with, with Pascal Donoghue, good morning. Oh, PJ, good morning. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to highlighting one or two little matters there I feel you might consider taking up with uh, with Pascal. You, you've had uh, quite a few people expressing views and opinions and concerns, but I, I would just like to go back to the overseas trip on St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Now, we have discussed this, and you have discussed it with various people, but I would just like to emphasize just one or two little points there. Now, one, I have written a letter to the newspapers, which I've copied to Hall Martin, 
Mm-hmm. So it's up front, and I'm not going to say anything to you that I haven't already said to me, Hall Martin. But one thing, as you know, I worked abroad. Now, one point I made to me, Hall Martin, here about these trips. You know, we all know now the problems in the country. People trying to feed their children. People trying to pay, pay their bills. People tearing their hairs out. Mothers frustrated. And yet, yet, you have these groups traveling abroad. Now, as you already said on your show yesterday, it's not just the individual who's sent out to represent the country. He will have with him his spouse, a partner, or family member, because that they are now entitled to take. And in addition, they will have assistance. They will have civil... Everybody has to have at least one civil servant, so maybe more. So the you're 30, not just, there are 36 trips, Michael. Well, you're not talking down. about 36 people. You no, may be talking about multiples of, of that. So that multiples is a fairly... And it's not only the cost of... Don't forget, it's not just the cost of the airfare. There is the hotel, and there is the food. So there is a lot of other expenses involved. No, and, and so you're, you're not just talking about one person making a trip. And then they're going to places like Sierra Leone. Now, I have lived and worked in that region. Now, what has the government of the country of Sierra Leone to offer this country? To the best of my knowledge, we are pouring money into Sierra Leone, helping them, which I have no problem with. It's a country that needs support and assistance, but it's also a country where money is just swallowed up. So, you know, Sierra Leone, what? Sending a representative there with some other people. But however, the other point I would just like to make quickly now, and I know you're caught for time. I have lived in 22 countries. My work has taken me to 48 other countries on short-term assignments. So there is 68 countries that I am familiar with. Not one of those countries have ever sent a representative abroad for their national day. In many cases, they will invite people from various countries into their capital to take part in their National Day celebrations. So there is 68 countries, oh, sorry, uh, 70 countries, 70 mm. countries in total that I know of yeah. that do not send anybody abroad. Yet Ireland seems to be the, uh, the only country that I know of. So look, let's call it yeah. what it is. This is a junket. Well, there's another... There's another turn on that, Michael, and it's this. There is no other country that I can think of, and you could think a long time before you come up with one, that on its national day, its head of state, its prime minister, is guaranteed a meeting with the most powerful person on the well, planet. Well, that, you can't that, buy that. Well, yeah, well, okay, so that is that is a propaganda that has been pushed I, I out there. And fair enough, and if, if, if people think that that is a wonderful thing, then I, I'm not going to disagree with it. But, you know, if we look at the history of the United States, uh, you know, there may be other factors there also, but uh, fair enough, people want to think it's a good thing. Well, fair enough. But but that is one But is person there nothing that comes back from these trips, So what about Michael? the person going to Sierra Leone? What is he going to yeah, do? Uh, that's the a good question. You know, what the so hell is he going the to say? The point is, I can understand Washington, I can understand perhaps London, I can understand maybe Paris or Rome or some or mm. Brussels, but some of those major. But they're going to these out-of-the-way places that, that, you know, it's nothing but just freeloading off the Irish taxpayer. And again, I come back to the point, this country is in, the people, are, the, the working class in this country are in crisis. And this is what the government, it's really giving the finger. That is the bottom line here, PJ. They're giving the finger to the hardworking people who are struggling because that is our money, those of us who are paying tax. No, no, we have to pay to get there, obviously. But you'd argue, or you could try, I suppose, that when you get there as a guest of the nation, 
a lot of that bill is actually covered. Well, I wouldn't know, if, I couldn't say 100%, but to the best of my knowledge, it is the ambassador who organises the accommodation, and therefore it's the government that picks up. Now, you're not going as a guest of the nation, per se. The, go- the, the nation are not inviting you. You are sending your people there. To the best of my knowledge, and I have attended a few of these functions in okay. various countries, to the best of my knowledge, the ambassador out there pays the bill and sends the, the bill on to the Minister of Foreign Affairs afterwards. So it is the Irish government. So there, like you just put your finger on it there. And they don't stay in uh, in little uh, ongoing, you'd say, four-star hotels. They, don't they would stay, stay in the, in the best. You remember the, the, the famous case a few years ago of a particular member of the Oireachtas who had a... a who came back from the races in Paris uh, when he had been on a trip and he was met at London Airport by a limousine from I one do. terminal to the other. I do. Like, this is the type of thing that, that is done for these people when they grow abroad. It's, it's luxury five-star hotel and luxury travel. We did the same thing in the United Nations, which annoyed me because mm. we had a man, when he came on a visit, he expected an S500 Mercedes to meet him all the time. But so, you know, there, there are expectations. And sometimes it, it's the, 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 the civil servants yeah. who cause the problem by providing them with all these five-star hotels and better. Now, so let me, let me push back another, know, in, another. In normal hotels like you and I would yeah. if we went. So yeah. there is... There is considerable expense to the state and they will tell you that it's in the interest of the people. I would say tell that to the lady with the 2,000 more plus bills, you know, that that these people are working in her interest out there. (laughs) PJ, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Always always good. Uh, You you call it like it is and based on, particularly Michael has, and he's telling the truth, Michael has worked literally in the four corners of the world. So he has a particular take on stuff like this. Uh, Don uh, has sent us a voice note Don was listening to, he was listening to Ken, is it? Let me see if I can find that. I haven't loaded that up yet. Just give me, here we go. Don says that that Ken is absolutely right on the subject of the heat pumps. I'm just waiting for it to, here we go. Hey, PJ, how's it going? Just there with that lady there with uh, the heat pump and the the 2,000 euro bill. We have the heat pump at home. Uh, we got the bill there the other day and it was 600 euros now there is panels on the roof I'm not sure does that lady have panels on the roof but uh, Ken is correct in what he's saying there is that you know there's not enough people know enough about them uh, for the installation of them you know they just bang them in and walk away with it but they're not set up properly and uh, also then as well is that uh, the panels will make a difference now she probably is estimated bill so uh, get her to, to go on to electric girl and have a look at her, her tariff and change her tariff but she must be careful if she does change her tariff she won't be able to come off it she's stuck on that tariff then so she does need to do a bit of homework there on that with uh, the tariff you choose to go on thanks for that Don yeah the 2022 euro 94 cents that is the 2023 euro uh, that's that's an, an actual calculated bill. Her last one was estimated. It was, it was 400. 0818 96, 96, 96. Yeah, those trips that we were talking about, 36 of them. 36 of them. And they're going to the four corners of the world. Obviously, Michal and Leo are headed for the States. Eamon Ryan's going to China. Michael McGrath is going to Chicago and Toronto. Pascal Dunahoo to Germany. Simon Coveney to Australia. 
Norma Foley to Philadelphia, Dara O'Brien to America as well, Heather Humphreys to the UK, Charlie McConnell Oak to New Zealand, Roderick O'Gorman's going to India, Stephen Donnelly to Canada, Simon Harris to San Francisco, the government chief whip going to USA, the Minister for State Jack Chambers going to Japan, I'm sure they'd be delighted to see him, Minister of State for Agriculture, Kenya and Tanzania, Uh, someone going to Italy and the Holy See, Thailand, Indonesia, Belgium, Netherlands, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Korea, South Africa, Brazil, Poland, Croatia, Slovenia, Austria, Slovakia, Czechia, Romania, Spain, Portugal, Austin, Dallas and Texas, Malaysia, the Philippines, Edinburgh, Cardiff and Liverpool, Cyprus and Jordan, Paris, Strasbourg and Lyon, Lebanon, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Argentina and Chile. I'm out of breath just reading that list of where they're going for St. Patrick's Day. Is it worth it or is it as Michael says, are they just bleeding astray? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Yeah, lots of people responding online and social media to the death of the great John Motson of BBC Soccer Commentary fame. Covered 10 World Cups for the Beeb. The, the sheepskin coat. Yeah, Kevin, I'd forgotten the sheepskin coat he made it famous uh, he had a sheepskin coat and it was kind of part of him it was almost like a uniform motting on a cold day with the sheepskin coat and that distinctive voice a sad loss says Kevin for football fans everywhere Fergal I don't know if we can dig into the audio banks there see can we get a clip uh, maybe a goal commentary or something from the great Motty uh, to finish out today just might be nice uh, as, as one of the greats uh, joins or is signed by, by Heaven FM as we say in the business 0818969696 Andrew says morning PJ just on the topic of the new Garda uniforms it must be the only sector of society now wearing high vis <laughs> but not be visible thank you Oh, yes, you get your daily dose of Dermot this hour. We'll be dancing in the sun. I'm we'll sing your song together. That's the song. Better Days, my favourite we'll Dermot Kennedy song. song together. That's coming up this hour. That's guaranteed sometime in the next half hour or so. Your chance to qualify to go to see him in Vegas in May. All right, that's your daily dose of Dermot coming up. I'd say defin- definitely within 40 minutes. Within 40 minutes, you're guaranteed. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we're talking about the cost of living and the cost of electric and the cost of gas and heat pumps and food and all those things, petrol, diesel, you name it, it's gone up these days. The cost of being a woman. Now, as a fella, I'm not going to think about that. It's kind of natural that you wouldn't think about it because it's, you know, I'm being a fella. But there's been a lot of talk lately particularly after Scotland made a decision to make period products free of charge. A lot of talk about the, just the ordinary cost of being a woman as, compor- as com- compared to, to being a man. 
period products being one thing. Hilary, uh, you went into some detail about this. Morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. So take the, the period products to start with. They're one thing. What else is makes life being a woman more expensive just because of being a woman? Yeah, so um, there's actually a concept. Um, it's called pink tax. Yeah. And I came across a wonderful letter that was sent into um, the Irish Times by a student in Clannacilty, um called Adriana, who did a great job of, um, you know, highlighting this particular issue. And she had some really interesting statistics in her letter as well. So I'll just give you some of those. Yeah. So she said, for example, women pay 35% more than men for body wash. Women also pay 10% more for deodorant, 59% more for facial moisturizer, and 78% more for razors. Now, that's before you even go into things like clothing, um, haircuts. Obviously, I think every woman listening knows when they've had that conversation with any man in their life <laughs> as to what yeah. they what their top price is that they're willing to pay for a haircut versus what the woman's top price is to pay yeah. for a haircut. 12 quid a <laughs> fortnight has me sorted, Hillary. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> well, that's very cheap, PJ. And, you know, some women can have very low maintenance hair. They can have short hair. And the amount of effort required to cut it would be the exact same um, as cutting, you know, a short haired man's hair. Um, but the reality is they are going to be charged an enormous price, far beyond even the figures that I just mentioned. And the body um, washes so the and the shower gels, that's kind of fascinating as well. I mean, look, I make no apology for this. I, if anything more than two euro doesn't go in my, in my shopping basket for myself, because I don't need to. They're all work. Yes. Um, I actually looked up one of these. I just went onto the Boots website quickly to see could I get a nice comparison um, for the call. And they did have, um, there's Gillette, this is shaving foam, right? right? So there's Gillette Classic Sensitive Shave Foam, 200 mil, packaged and marketed to men for 2.99. Then there's a Gillette Satin Care Dry Skin Shea Butter, 200 mil. Now, fair enough, they have shea butter. So shea maybe, butter, that's you know, not something would, now that, that's not something now that I put on my sourdough, is it, no? That's, <laughs> that might not be in the men's one, so fair enough, but... The price is four forty nine, so you've gone from two ninety nine to four forty nine. Um, something I've noticed. I don't know if you're um, the, the other people that might use those um, female shaving products. I noticed this a couple of years ago. I was still getting nicks, and I was still getting very sensitive legs and stuff um, from using the women's shaving foam. And my husband had kind of been half looking at it and saying, Do "You know, I think that stuff isn't up to much anyway. You should try my one instead." So I did, and I find a fierce difference between the two products in terms of quality as well. Oh, listen. Because I, I find the women's shaving foam is actually very weak. I don't know if other women would agree with me or if they've noticed this or anything, but try using, if there's a man in the household, give their shaving foam a test and let me know because I'd be so interested to know, do other yeah. people feel that it's much thicker and it's much more effective as well and cheaper? Maybe that's where they rob our razors too, but anyway, I'm saying nothing. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, they are expensive as well, so yeah. Yeah, the razors, to be fair, the razors are more expensive. Like, I can buy my, I can buy a packet yeah. of razors in Aldi for a nine ninety nine, and four refills. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, you're they're not, an awful, <laughs> yeah, they're is, an awful price. 
Uh, and now, um, you say as well that, um, come back to the hair, women are under pressure to maintain a level of grooming. Expand on that. That is true. So this kind of goes outside. So there's the the first, the other concept is that, you know, corporations um, or businesses are charging more. So they could sell the exact same product and just kind of package it in pink and then charge more, even though it's essentially the exact same product. But then the other kind of adjacent but separate issue is that, you know, as a woman, we do have these extra expenses. Um, I'm sure you probably covered, I know there's been campaigns in Cork around period poverty as well. There have, yeah. Um, And as you mentioned at the start that um, Scotland are the, I think the first and possibly only country in the world um, to make period products available for free, Mm. which is just, it's such a nice gesture and it would be, it's just kind of a real acknowledgement that... We uh, do have all of these extra expenses, you know. <laughs> Please accept a question from from a, from a man who knows damn all about these things. Like, how much does it cost a woman per month to get through her period, on average? Oh, do you know? I don't. I I don't even have a figure for that because I literally just pick them up by them. I don't even. I don't even pay attention to it because I suppose you're doing it for so many years that they're just things that you need and they're essential and you just get them and you don't even think about it. Yes. Um, but obviously there are other women that for that, for to manage that is yeah. much more difficult and they are looking at the price and they actually are thinking, I can't really afford this this yeah. month. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just fortunate, you know, not to have to think about that. Yeah. But of course, like there are plenty of women that do have to think about that. A lot of workplaces um, have taken to putting know, yeah. the free ones in the toilets as well, which is which is good to see too. It is, it is. And I think as well, it's kind of, um, you know, this maybe a bit of an Irish awkwardness thing about we don't, you know, oh, we don't really want to talk about it. Even as a business, like you have to have a meeting to talk about that and somebody has to represent, okay, can we put them for free into the toilets um, to be available for women? And sometimes people maybe feel a bit awkward around that conversation, but I actually think we've come so far in like being able to talk about something that is completely natural and, you know, we all go through it and it's a completely normal bodily function that we should be, you know, happy to talk about and especially to address that issue of okay. period po- poverty. All period right. poverty, it's called, and that's um, an important one to address right. as well. Hillary, but also, th- yeah. um, the shaving foam, give it a go. <laughs> the shaving foam, I know, I know, I know. Thanks a lot. Shea butter. Is that better or worse now than O'Driscoll butter? Or have I got the, the wrong end of the stick entirely? Thanks, Hillary. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM to meet the Cork's 96 FM Street Fleet heading your way soon join the Street Fleet this Sunday February 26th for the Clayton Hotel Silver Springs wedding venue viewing afternoon enjoy a one-to-one consultation with their wedding executive Megan and experience this magnificent venue as it would be on your wedding day meet the fleet at the Clayton Hotel Silver Springs this Sunday from 2 let Clayton put the sparkle into your big day ClaytonHotelSilverSprings.com with Cork's 96FM. We talked a lot in the last couple of days about cost of living. We went through the details yesterday of the government's latest provision to assist with the cost of living. 
200 euro for all social welfare recipients, 100 euro extra for each child and the child benefit in school, or in June rather, changes in school meals, that and excise changes. We went through it, a 1.3 billion euro package. Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Dunne, who is in Cork today on a constituency tour, and, and he joins me now. Minister Dunne, do you think you've done enough given that you have 6 billion in the kitty that you could have spent the other day. Good morning. Well, good morning, PJ, and thank you very much for having me on your programme. So uh, I appreciate that for some of your listeners here this morning, they will want us to do more. And where we're in in an environment in which the price of so much is going up so quickly, I know there will always be demands on me to do more. I do believe we have done our best, and I do believe we've done the right thing. And I believe that for two reasons. The first one is, it's so important that we do keep a little bit back for later on in the year for when we do the budget, because we'll have further challenges later on in the year and next year. And secondly, the important point you raised with me regarding the six billion euro that the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, um, uh, has brought into our National Reserve Fund is nearly exclusively corporate tax revenue that we're collecting at the moment. And I believe there's a real risk that we might not have that money available in the coming years. So it's the right thing not to spend money that we're not sure we will continue to have. Is there some flight of foreign companies that we don't know about, Minister? It's not so much there's a flight of foreign companies, uh, PJ. uh, And uh, what I am very confident is that the jobs, the employment and the investment that we have in our country, we can keep in the years ahead. And Michael McGrath and I will continue to work closely to create the kind of environment in which that is possible. But what there is a real risk is even though we can keep the jobs and even though we can keep the investment, those companies might not always be as profitable in the future as they are now. And because that profit might decline, our tax revenue could decline. And you and I have been around once before in our very recent history in which tax revenue contracted so sharply and so quickly we had to make major cutbacks and increase taxes sharply. And I don't want to be part of any decisions that could create that risk again. So there's prudent economics to to be considered at all times and I think we appreciate that. But let's bring up the case of Sarah. She's a a mum of two children. She has a heat pump in her house. She got her bill the other day from Electric Ireland it's not an estimate, it's an accurate bill there's only three of them living in the house how is she supposed to shell out Minister 2,023 euro how? and that's why I said at the very start of your interview with me PJ that I appreciate that for many of your listeners they'll always feel that we should do more and I appreciate God knows the incredible difficulty of trying to find the money to pay for a bill like that. But appreciating all day won't help her. So if I outline what we are going to do to help Sarah, I'd make three brief points in relation to you, if I may. The first one is for Sarah. There's a further energy credit on the way of €200 that will play a a part, and I appreciate a small part, Mm -hmm. in reducing that bill. Secondly, for Sarah, for her children... Uh, she will receive a further additional payments of child benefit in the coming months to help with these kind of costs. Or a further payment uh, of, uh, of hundreds of euro 
to help reduce that cost. And then finally for Sarah, if she is in a position that she has her kids in any form of childcare, for nearly all childcare providers. Well, she, well, she has, Minister, but she can't afford it this month because of the, her electricity bill which, and her and her supplier wants payment now, not in June. The, which is the reason why we have reduced the childcare costs for nearly all childcare providers by a quarter to help with those costs through additional payments that we're making to the childcare providers. Mm. And if Sarah is in a position where she is at work, she'll now be in a position that for the first €40,000 she's earning, she's not paying the higher rate of income tax on any of that money. Yeah. So she's in different still, ways that we are still struggling. She's still struggling. Oh, PJ, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that for so many. Uh, they are struggling and we are struggling. But on the other hand, since the 1st of January 2022, we have now made available €9 billion Euro of your money, of your listeners' money, mm. To help with these costs. And, and I don't begrudge a penny of it to people like, like Sarah, no, of course Minister. Not. Like, another thing is, you talk about childcare. There is a statistic out there, which I was only made aware of recently 20,000 au pairs holding up the families because people like Sarah can't afford the cost of a crash. Uh, but this again is the reason why we've cut childcare costs by a quarter. It's the reason why we want to do that again and continue with this kind of progress year by year, budget by budget. Because I appreciate that for so many of your listeners, the cost of childcare is like a second mortgage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the reason why uh, the government has prioritised in particular how we can help with the cost of childcare, while at the same time investing more in those who are providing the childcare through their salaries, through payments to them, so as we are asking the quality of those services to increase, we're also helping with the costs involved okay, okay. in increasing the quality. Let's look at food. Everyone's got to put food in the larder and food in the fridge. Katrina Toomey, I'm sure you've heard of Katrina Toomey, maybe even met her from Cork Penny Dinners. She said in all her years, in all her years, and she's given her life to this work, she's never seen food poverty like there is in the last month. Queues of people. People who with jobs, sometimes people with two jobs in the house, outside her doors, looking for a hot meal. What's broken, Pascal Donahue? What's broken? Well, what's broken is the consequence of a war. That's what's broken. Ah, come on now. No, no, you've asked me... You, no, you, you trying to blame it all on Ukraine? Oh, I wouldn't blame it all. But if you're asking me the question about what is particularly broken at the moment, well, if I look at our country overall, our country, despite the many challenges that you're correctly raising with me, has never had many people, more people at work than it has at the moment and is continuing to see wages grow. And despite the fact that we paid out and was the right thing to do, tens of billions of euro to deal with the impact of a pandemic on our society, we are still in a position to find nine billion euro more to deal with the latest yeah, shock. But, but there's something so, wrong when you have a house with two jobs. A house with two jobs and you're queuing up for food. Something is fundamentally broken in that world, Minister. But I think it's important to acknowledge what's broken, also to make the case for what's working. And I think it's very important to have that But if you're the one queuing up, with your hands hanging to you, nothing's working. Sure, but in dealing with what is broken, and in dealing with those who find themselves in little position but to queue for food, what I'd made the case then for is how we're helping those people. How are we helping them? Well, we're helping them now, for example, through rolling out a hot school meal program Mm -hmm. in Dash schools to actually help directly 
with the availability of hot food for our youngest children who need that support. We are helping with how we have increased in only over the last number of weeks as a result of Budget 2023, increasing all of the core social welfare payments to help with the rising cost of living for those who have the least. So there are changes that we have made in accepting your point, PJ, that for uh, many within our society at the moment, it's so hard to get by and some can't. Oh no, some, some are not getting through the day. They, their children are being fed. Yes, the children are being fed, but the parents are having toast for the dinner. And, and that is the truth. I've spoken to them, I've met them. Housing is another one, Minister. I'm talking to Paul. Paul's a chef. Uh, he's homeless. His landlord sold up. He can't find, he can't afford accommodation. And the only way we can help him and others is by getting more homes built. And it's why it's so important that for last year, despite everything that we had to contend with, we built nearly, as a country, nearly 30,000 homes. And to put that in context, before the pandemic hit, in 2019, we built 21,000 homes. Mm. So we are still short of your target though, aren't you? Uh, for last year, we delivered against our target overall. Didn't you adjust uh, it halfway through? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, what we did is change the mix of the targets. So if you look at the total number of houses that were built for last year, we delivered against our targets. We nearly built 30,000 homes. It's fair to say the mix of those homes mm-hmm. was a little different to how we would have anticipated. But we were dealing with huge changes in the cost of raw materials and significant changes in interest rates across that period. Uh, yeah, true, true. But the houses, if you look at houses, just bring it Ballancolic, a three, two, a two-bedroom house rental in the suburbs of Cork, people are now paying 1700 And to buy a house in Ballancolic, you're talking over 400000 just for a very basic three- or four-bed semi. Uh, which is why, again, building more homes and building more social and affordable homes within that is so critical. We are now building more homes directly as a state that will be for public, for social use, for cost rental use, for affordable use, than we have at any point since the mid-1970s. And we are doing that. When will we see these houses and the prices go down? We're just doing that in recognition of the very point that you are making that for many it's the availability of homes that is the biggest challenge. Now, in relation to your point there, PJ, and I didn't mean to cut across you okay. regarding when you think, when do I think we'll see begin to see the price of homes begin to go down? I, I'm not going to make a prediction in relation to that because it's so hard to do. What I do expect to see happen as we move through 2023 is I do expect to see the, the, the speed with which the price of homes went up right after the pandemic. I'm confident that's going to begin to moderate and slow down this year. But that will only partially help. What will help more is how we maintain help to buy, which helps many people uh, with support from the state get on the housing ladder for the first home. And it's how we will continue to get more homes built 
directly delivered by the state, by our local authorities, and then through supporting the private sector mm. to get up to 30,000 homes and more per year. Okay, we'll see where that goes. Let me come lastly to uh, the issue of the St. Patrick's Day trips, the annual trip. You yourself are heading for Germany. There are 36 trips. That's multiples of 36 people, including the Attorney General. I don't understand why it has to include all of those people. But Minister, at a time when people are queuing for food, at a time when people can't pay their bills, sending multiples of 36, I would imagine probably the bones of 150 people will go abroad for St. Patrick's Day. Is it necessary in the middle of a crisis to be flying to the four corners of the world to stand in a parade I, 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 and watch a parade? Yes, it is. Because you make the case for Ireland. You make the case for our economy. You make the case for your jobs. And if I look at your show, I'm sure across the morning, across the week, on your show, on your radio station, you advertise your programme. You make the case as to why listeners should tune in and listen to you, PJ. If you're a country, and if you're making the case for your country, we do so in a world and in a global economy that is so competitive. I want our Taoiseach, I want our Tawnishta to be in America making the case for mm. the Good Friday Agreement making the case for... Sure, why Sierra Leone, though? Take Jerry Buttermer, and nothing against Jerry, I know Jerry well. What what good is is a trip to Sierra Leone doing? Because uh, countries like Sierra Leone are countries in which we invest in how those who have the very least in the world might be able to get by a bit more. And despite all of the challenges that we have, which is so correct to call out with me and challenge me on, It's still very challenging, I think, understandably challenging at times for us to be aware and acknowledge that there are even those who have far, far, far less. And our country, because of our goodness, because of our decency, because of our values, does set aside money each year to help those who have virtually nothing to get by. And I think, therefore, it's very appropriate uh, that our, our politicians make the case for that in other parts of the world and also understand how that money is being spent. After all, um, St. Patrick himself was a missionary, uh, and uh, while I'm not equating any of our efforts to those that are in any way missionary, part of that tradition that is very important to our country is how we have those who have the least. And globally, with all that is going on in a world that is dangerous and fractured at the moment, I think that is still an important mission. Okay. Lastly, come back to Paul and the homelessness situation. And there is presently an, an eviction ban in place. It comes to an end in the next month or so. And the fear is, Pascal Donoghue, dozens more Pauls ringing me within the next month or so because they've been evicted. And that indeed, Paul, all those other who, will, who may face such a risk, is a responsibility that we take so very seriously. So will you extend the ban? No, the decision in relation to that hasn't been made, PJ. It'll be made in a few weeks' time. What I'm also very much aware of is not just the polls of today, and we have such a profound responsibility to them, is that if we want to avoid uh, this situation getting even worse and it continuing year after year after year, we also do need more landlords. We need more rental accommodation to be supplied. And we do have to consider the moratorium also in the context of that. But I can guarantee you the issue that you are raising about Paul 
is an issue that I'm so aware of across the length and breadth of the country. Mm. But, but that ending that ban, Minister, will add to the number of polls. You can't say it won't. Oh, this risk very much is there, Paul, uh, that for Paul and for others, and we're acutely aware of that. Being acutely aware of it won't stop it. Uh, but on the other hand, what is also a very important consideration is that if we want more landlords to provide more rental accommodation so that Paul has a better chance of a home in the future, we do need to consider a decision in the context of that too. Okay, okay. so there, yeah, and, and there'll be a decision, decision made in the next few weeks. I know it's been... And it's it will been... be made in the next few weeks, very conscious of the responsibility okay. that you remind well, us of. Well, we will see where that goes. Lastly, the electricity companies posting enormous profits. Enormous profits. Obscene profits, as described by uh, money Dr. John Lowe yesterday and come back to, to Sarah's electricity bill. A company that's making such colossal profits putting a, a, a young mum to the pin of her collar like that. There's got to be a role for government in saying but, to the companies, you can't do that. But there's more than just a role in talking about it. There's a role in what we can do about it and are doing about it. And there's two doing? things there. Number one, the role of windfall taxes to deal with this very issue that are as excess profits are made we collect a large share of those excess profits back to help your listeners. And number two, if these profits are recruited to any of our selling state organisations, of course, we recoup that back in dividends to the state that in turn helps us deal with and fund the measures that can make a difference. Okay. But in addition to what we can do about it, which we are and which we can in the future, it's also the role of the state in calling this out. It's not acceptable to me that profits go up, excuse me, the prices went up over a few months when our energy markets changed in the wrong way. And if they improve, it can take a few years for the price. I know, I, know I heard Leo say that the other day, and I hope it goes through, through with it. Lastly, and just let you know, I know you're under pressure. You're on walkabout today. Where are you headed? Uh, oh, look, I'm, I'm here in Middleton at the moment. I'm spending the day then uh, in Cork City itself and the night in Cork City itself meeting our councillors, local businesses and members of the public. And I'm really looking forward to it, PJ. All right. All right. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, Pascal Donoghue, on the opinion. I'd make of his contribution what you will. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear what you think of what he had to say there. But for now... Dermot Kennedy, live in Las Vegas. Win your way there with Cork's 96FM. Yep. Dermot Kennedy, live in Vegas in May, and you could be there. He's at the Chelsea at the Cosmopolitan with luxury hotel for you, spending money, flights, the whole kit and caboodle. And your birthday is a couple of days after the concert. Leanne, morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. When is your birthday? Um, it's on the Tuesday. So right. the concert would be the Saturday. My birthday is the Tuesday. Oh, wow. What a prezzy yeah. that would be. Oh, it'd be brilliant. brilliant. Would you be a fan? Have you seen them before? No, I haven't. It'd be brilliant. Absolutely amazing. All right. In we- Las Vegas, then out of all places, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> Have you ever been there? No, never. It'll be a dream come true, PJ. All right, well, let's see if we can help you to at least get into the draw. Question for you, but you have to decide with the slot machine. Would you like a Dermot question or a Vegas question? Um, We'll go for Dermot. Let's put it in the slot machine. Please. All right, here we go. The slot machine's been kind of kind to us this week because it's given you a Dermot question. 
Oh, very right. good. So his 2023 tour is called the Sonder Tour. He'll be playing Toman Park and Marley Park for a total of how many shows? Is it 10 or 5? Is it A10 or B5? Five. Yeah, I'd go for B5. I'd say you'd go for B5. And you would be right. Oh, brilliant, PJ. Brilliant. I've been texting every show every day. Fantastic. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, look, you're through to the draw. You know the deal. And uh, we'll take yep. it from here. And good luck to What a birthday present that would be. Oh, Nina. it'd be amazing. Oh, my God. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> All right. Let's. Yeah. Fingers and every, everything that's crossable across from, from here until draw day. Leanne, thank you. That's Leanne from Dylan's Cross. Imagine winning that as a birthday present. Dermot Kennedy live in Vegas. Simon will have more qualifiers this afternoon. Lorraine will have more this evening. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 we had loads of stuff planned for this last half an hour, but uh, Pascal Dunner, who has kicked a few people to touch, we'll get back to everyone. Apologies if we've we've had to push you back a little bit, but we want to get to Peter and to Amanda. But William, you were listening to the Minister. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, the Minister stating that there was 33,000 uh, homes built last year in Ireland is absolutely a disgrace, you know? For the amount of population that we've imported from all our European countries and for everything else, that's not enough houses to support anybody that wants to actually buy a house. Mm-hmm. Now, taking Cork City into perspective, from Nottinghamley all the way up to Mayfield, from 1990 straight through to 19, or 2018, there has been no major housing estates built. Is there everything. No, everything that has been built has been built on the south side. It's like the north side has been totally forgotten about. Okay. You take Douglas back in 1980, you had a merry-go-rounds where these villages. It was a tiny little village for a stop on the way down to Crosshaven for families. Yeah. Carrigaline was the same. You know, the, the people of Cork have abs- or the north side have absolutely been forgotten about. We've lost our hospitals. Where we was lost- the last housing estate that you can remember? went up in, in the north side. Before 19, uh, 2018, you would have had two, which would have been Kinvera and Ashmount, maybe 150 houses in each of them, you know? Now, where has all the people that were 18, 20, 25 that wanted to buy a house just before the Celtic Tiger went bang? They all had to go to Watergrass Hill, Fomoy, Rack Harmock, uh, Watergrass Hill, Berings, Buin, further and further out. That's why our city... Is, is losing out. Yes, Christians, Skullwira, St. Angela's, which are high-paying schools, are on the north side. No hospitals on the north side. Mm. Right? The, the, the city council have forgotten about the north side 100%. Well, there will be a new hospital now going up to where Sarsfields Court is. That, that's the, where the plan for the new hospital is. And that's where the, the COH should have been first there. COH, which was built in 1972, there thereabouts, was actually an old GA ground. I remember. And the GA got, gave it to the the HSE, or whatever they were called at the time, and the GA got the ground at the bottom of Black Rock in, in a bog for free, and they paid rent on, the HSE paid rent to the COH. Yeah. There's been no houses built in Bishopstown for the whole of the Celtic Tiger. Yeah, everybody was pushed out further. Most people that owned houses in Ballincollig are from Kerry or Limerick. 
not Corkonians. Yeah. Hey, how? But cities do spread, William. That's that's the nature of cities. They do spread. Yes, but people it's don't live one, on top of each other either, you know. Yes, but it's been a one-way situation. We have more land heading out beyond Balavalan than we have heading for the, the sea. Right. You're, you, you're heading up Maryborough Hill, you're heading down into Carraglane, you're heading into a sea. It's a one-way system. You, you've only one way in and one way out. We have a train line that goes all the way to Dublin, out past Blarney, out past Mallow, and there's no uh, junctions on it, there's no villages on it, there's nothing. Yeah. I do yes, remember we, they were supposed to put a train station into Kilbarry. That never happened. Never happened, yes. And yet we pushed our people all the way down to Carrick too, which, yes, it does have a train station. Mm. You know, our, our, our TDs that are... Doesn't Blarney have a station now? No. No, that was planned as well. That never that was happened. Pla- that was planned as well. I know. I, I, I was only messing with you, I know. <laughs> yeah, but what's happening? What's going to happen, you know, with the people coming forward? We're on about our city dying a debt, which it is. Cork City itself is dying a debt because Cork City, the people in Mayfield, in Balavalan, in Turner's Cross, in Balfihan, in Bishopstown are all elderly. We have no use left in the city. And to put things into perspective... There's nowhere for them to live, William, in the city. But they're building the city too far out. You're very, very lucky you're on a bus route. And you two. keep saying you're on a bus route. Two, two, I would never stop. I never stop thanking my lucky stars for that. You are very, very lucky. But mm. I can tell you here now, PJ, and I heard it on the grapevine, is that glow in the dark it will, will not be in Bishop's Lucy Park this year. It's going out to Balancholic. Well, that's the first I've heard it, William, and I've nothing, I've nothing to, to verify You have that. nothing, but I'm just telling you now, is I've heard it on the grapevine from the people that are actually doing security, they were told okay, that well, they're not doing it next year, it will be in Balancholic. Well, that's, that's not something I can verify, but it's something I'm happy to check out in the background, do, William, yes. Do, please. But, you know, our city council have forgot about the north side of the city and you take like is this the old north versus south thing I mean I'm a south sider who's worked most of my adult life on the north side I mean I've worked it's it's not about north and south it's about discrimination Blackpool was told when they knocked the four or the three flats that the flats would never be built again they're building six flats in the same area no parking no school the school in Dublin Hill is at full it cannot take any more. Yeah. You know, where are all those kids going to go? There are six, apartment, six big massive apartments. We just take on average that they're putting 80, to 80 families in each. Mm. That's a lot of kids, a lot of people. No parking, no facilities, nothing. Is it going to become another Orchard Court? If you haven't seen Orchard Court, I I'd advise you I to know. go in and see Orchard Court. Mm. Now, Blackpool was the richest place in Cork at one stage because it was the only place the train stopped. And everybody came down that way into Shannon Street, Norman Street, Southman Street, and over to Douglas Street to get the next train. Yes. You know? And without Blackpool, this city would not be here. Because we had tanneries, we had slaughterhouses, we had distilleries, we had factories. We had everything. We had everything out there. And without the industrial age out on the north side, we would have nothing. You know, and the price of a house in 1989 in Silver Springs was the same price as a house in Pinecroft 
in 89. And you're saying no new houses built up in the north side for years and like you said, the spread outside. There's nowhere for the people to live. William, great points. Well made. Thank you very much. I'll go to Amanda just for, I think, our last call today. Amanda. Hi, how are you? How are you? you got a bill. A couple yeah. of bills. Go on. Uh, so the gas bill was in yesterday and the electric bill was in two weeks ago. Uh, now, the electric bill was over €200, euro, um, so the subsidy just about covered that, um, thank God. Oh, was and that before gas- or after the subsidy? Uh, no, this was just after the subsidy, thank God. So we'll say the subsidy covered it, so we'll say it was about €15 euro after the subsidy, so that's, that was something. That was sweet. Um, um, so thank God. Um, we'll say because the gas bill I got yesterday, I thought it was a phone number, um, it was €583.23, euro and, and our gas is on sparingly, we'll say. So um, we've had a new boiler fitted. We moved in here three years ago before the pandemic and we moved down to Charleville from Limerick because um, of the house prices then and that we couldn't afford to live in Limerick and where I'm from. And so as in, we just got our house before the pandemic and since I lost my job then, um, we'll say it's, it's absolutely mental to think that, like, as in, when I was on the pandemic payment, um, I had to fight to get on at number one, even though I was made redundant. And then when I did get back working, I had to pay a higher rate of tax to to pay that back. Yeah. Um, we'll say I I will say just just my experience of working in this. We'll say working for a living, like you know, we were brought up in a great work ethic. My dad was brilliant. That every hour was a working hour. He was self-employed window cleaner. You know, um. And then to kind of, when you're out on your own, it's like, you just realise how kind of, and I, like, I was listening to Pascal Donahue there, and I literally was so angry listening to him that he's going, I appreciate this, and you called him out, and I appreciate that. I say that to customers at work, when there's not an like, Appreciation won't butter bread. Like, like, 100 euro is all we'll get, basically. 100 euro, one-off payment for our baby, who, on top of, like, my baby is 15 months old, and she is a blessing, she has a special diet. We'll say she's allergic to protein in milk and things like that. So her diet is very limited. Okay. Um, we'll say she's she's allergic to that. We've introduced it. her formula alone for a normal size tin is eighty three euro for eight hundred grams. What? No, yeah, eight hundred eight hundred grams. It's eighty three euro. Please tell me that's um, covered by some kind of payment scheme. We are only blessed that we can get the drugs payment scheme, and um, that's the only godsend that we have because it is. Before it was, you'd be entitled to a payment for something like that, but they stopped that for whatever reason. But um, I can't get a medical card for my baby because I earn too much. We'll say, it's not me that has the problem, it's my little one. Um, we'll say, her foods, she has to be, like, it, it's crazy. And then on top of all that, like, you know, they go through new clothes every couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's absolutely insane we'll say and the gas bill yesterday just kind of like our last gas bill before that was 380 euro and uh, we, your, your, bill, yeah. Yeah, your bill yesterday was what 583 80 you, you gave with the details 583 now this time last year what was your bill it bill? was 213 because oh, I have the graph we'll say so I'm with Electric Ireland a year and I have the graph so I was like that has to be some sort of mistake and so we're I looked using up the, the same graph. number of units, we'll say. There was only a slight difference. I okay. mean, we aren't we 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 used maybe about two hundred units more than this time last year. Nice. Um but it's four hundred or more nearly, like, you know, so it's it's I rang them up. I mean, like I was just, I have to set up a payment plan with them. So 
So they're giving out payment plans now over the next 10 weeks that you can divide it into equal payments and that they're giving out um, easy pay cards that basically you can top it up and it'll go onto your account. I tried to set it up as pay as you go, but I was told if I set it up as pay as you go, I have to pay €300 Euro of a security deposit. So I have to have it as direct debit. So, like, listening to Pascal Dunne, who there saying he's doing everything he can, I've been working since I was 16. I've paid my tax. I've paid everything. And to hear, like, I mean, and I have every respect for anyone who's on social welfare through no fault of their own. But being a 32-year-old, I know people that's on social welfare because it's, it's actually more for them to get than it is to work. And it literally makes you think of, like, we're, we're getting married next year and I'm dreading, the, like, as in we, we planned, we got engaged last year and now we're getting married next year. And it literally is like, oh my God, are we going to have to postpone the wedding? Are we going to have to cut our numbers? You know, and it's a first world problem, but like, we can't even look forward to getting married for the mere fact the bills are going through the roof. It's a first world problem, Amanda, yeah. but it's your problem, and therefore it's hurting you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that, that people often dismiss, dismiss their problems as first world, but it's your world. You know, and when you look at and you know what the thing is? I have to do that because otherwise I'll start crying. You know, like right. as in, even at the weekend, my car got broken into in my driveway, and now I like you know I'm only I'm only blessed that my insurance is covering the excess of, is is covering it and it won't affect my no claims. But then you have people going around like that, and it's not in in times where people are literally struggling to put food on the table. As in, like after all my bills are paid, we'll say I'm entitled to nothing, bar child allowance. After everything is paid, the gas bills, the car, everything. Like as in, even the GP, like. If I have to go to the doctor, I literally have to plan to go to the doctor. It's like an NCT when I go to the doctor because I have to get it all done in the one thing because it's so expensive. And after bills and everything are paid, I'm on a good wage. So I'd be on 33000 a year, we'll say, which is a good wage two years ago on paper. Now, after everything is paid, and I'm not joking you, I made it out on paper because I was like, where is the money going? I was left with €141.80 Euro a week if I was lucky. Yeah. after bills and that's not including emergencies or anything that's just bills and that's you're one of thousands of men I'm gonna, for no reason other than time I'm going to leave it there but you've made your points and made them brilliantly 32 year old Amanda one of thousands thousands of young families who are struggling uh, big time at the moment uh, and calling us in response to uh, Minister Pascal Dunne who was on the show we'll podcast the whole lot of that so you'll be able to to hear it for yourself and hear the responses. I've comments as well on screen. I just don't have time to get to them until tomorrow. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you for Friday just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 